for the first time all year, the Montreal Canadiens have won consecutive games. And it comes at the expense of the New York Islanders in a shootout. Uh, the two colleagues I will have with me today to talk about this Montreal Canadiens victory, both from Habs Eyes on the Prize, uh, both former uh, colleagues of mine, uh, but also still colleagues forever, essentially. Uh, Patrick Bixell, <laughs> Sell, uh coming in, and uh, Scott Matla as well. Gentlemen, good to hear you and see your see your faces. And uh, yeah, let's get to talking about this Montreal Canadiens victory. Uh, Pat, what hey, come time on, can is we, it? Can, can we just talk about Finland? <laughs> no. <laughs> you don't have to talk about Finland if you don't want. I feel like you're taking this a lot better than I thought you would. I said, I mean, like I went to Locked On Canadians and I saw, I, I said Finland uh, pre tournament even. So I'm not, I, I wasn't on the bandwagon. I just said they had the best coach ever or, or uh, in the whole tournament. So it was as easy as that. <laughs> Obviously, referencing Finland winning the gold medal in uh, men's hockey at the Olympics, which have since concluded. And you could always go back to the backlog of episodes of uh, Game Over International, hosted by uh, our good buddy Andrew Berkshire and, of course, Tic Tac Tomar. But let's talk about this Munchot Canadians game. Scott, to start with you here, give me your, your first initial takeaway, impressions, lay it all out, and then Pat, you can follow after Scott. I'm. The Canadians are playing fun hockey, and the whole thing about it is is that if you're going to lose, at least lose with effort. And since Martin St. Louis has come in, we've seen this team. They've played with effort but lost to Washington, but we could see the progress there. Then they lost a close one to uh, Columbus. Then they lost to Buffalo, and then everything kind of clicked into place. They had a really strong game. They finally got Martin St. Louis' first win in overtime against St. Louis. And then in this game, we saw them play with pressure, play with pace. Cole Caulfield looks like an entirely new player right now. And in overtime, they didn't sit back and kind of wait for an opening. They tried to make their own luck. And sometimes you get burned, but the efforts there, they I know the Islanders probably had more shots, but at the end of the day, it feels a lot like this was a deserved win for the Canadians. And it's not hard to feel good for a guy like Caulfield getting a shootout goal, Rem Pitlick. And then Andrew Hammond, who hadn't won a game in four years, comes in and plays about as well as anyone could have hoped. It was it's good to have fun hockey to watch. They might not be great, but the games are fun. I think that's uh, a stark change from the last time I was on Game Over after that 7-1 Devils loss where we just didn't know what else to say about this team anymore. Pat, what about you? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think it's clear and, and you can see it almost from from even from Sweden that they're actually playing with a smile on their faces and I think that is the most important thing we are everyone knows that the season is over more or less but you can still enjoy that and I think it's important that they come into summer feeling some kind of you know feeling happy about hockey because otherwise you know it will be the same start as next year and it's you need to get out of that backspin and and you know, downward spiral in a way. Um, mostly I'm impressed with Hammond, I have to say that. Uh, fantastic game today. And I'm also very impressed with the painter with, with the with the helmet to get a Canadian's helmet <laughs> done in about a week. That's, that's, I mean, like fair play to that guy. And, and obviously the delivery service as well. Um, but but fantastic game. We, we know what Hammond can do when he's on, but we also know what he can do when he's off. So, uh, so yeah, it's good to see him on and, and getting that win and, and directly being part of that locker room. Yeah, uh, we can get to the big picture stuff with regards to them winning and, and all that. But just in the moment with 
with that Islanders victory, uh, I think they said on the broadcast too that uh, Martin St. Louis' family was also in attendance at UBS. Yeah, Arena. and 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 uh, his wife was sitting away from the kids. Yeah, because <laughs> she didn't want she didn't want to have anything to do with the kids. <laughs> oh man, Martin St. Louis as interim head coach already has two victories as as head coach of this team, and yes, it's still in the interim. But remember, he straight up said. Uh, I'm not coming in to be a substitute teacher. Like, I, 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 it, there's one specific thing I'll mention with MSL that I think is like the the most glaring change I think I've seen with the Canadians here. It's in overtime. Like the puck possession, the creativity, the freedom. Like when Marte St. Louis said, "Hey, I I want my guys not to be boxed into systems and go off of reads." You know what's a perfect time to really see that play in action? Overtime, which three on three and the free skating and the open ice. Well, like, was was there even it? a whistle in that overtime? No, there was not. It was five. I mean, in some ways, I wish they went for ten. But but on the other <laughs> hand, I was like, can we get this going? Because it's it's like eleven o'clock here at night, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> and I have work it tomorrow. So <laughs> yeah, we that's, all do. Yeah, it's, it's and that thing is, it's like they played to to put the effort out there. And it's like, we saw a different look. We saw Ben Sherratt, which normally when Ben Sherratt gets out there in overtime, everyone rolls their eyes back because it's never good. And yet he was good. We saw Brett Kulak out there. We saw Pitlick. We saw Jake Evans. We saw more people. Alfred. Yeah. And then Hoffman was playing defense. He wouldn't have done that. I was about to say Mike Hoffman, that play on the side, that's the best defensive play I've ever seen him do in his life. He made a breakup too through the neutral zone that I think he got a piece of it to knock it out or it's a breakaway chance. And I'm like, where was this all season? And I understand that losing games, you know, kind of deflates veterans, especially guys who are brought in to help win. And to see him come back and do that is truly an impressive thing there. It's, Everyone seems to be pulling their weight. You're, you can still, you'll be able to tell who isn't pulling their weight under Martin St. Louis system here. And you look at it, Caulfield looks like a new player. Nick Suzuki looks great. Josh Anderson looks good. Even the guys who don't play a ton, that fourth line of Paling, uh, I believe it was Lekkanen and Pizzetta, they but, don't play a like ton, Pizzetta. but the effort's there. I mean, Michael Pizzetta drew a penalty, looked like he scored a goal, but got the screen to allow Jeff Petrie to score a goal. Everyone's pulling in the same direction, and I'm very curious to see how long it might take Martin St. Louis to match Dominique Ducharme's wins on the season, which I know for a team that is trying to tank out right now is probably not what people want to hear, but a good leader makes everyone fall in line and things just seem to be working. They're not going to win every game, especially ones like this, but it's good to know that they're not just going to go in and get blown over by a stiff breeze, and that's the game after the first period. We have yep. some updated Cole Caulfield stats here on the uh, Marty San Louis, and it's from uh, Nathan Gravitz on, on Twitter. Uh, five games, four goals, one shootout goal, one goal taken away, one assist, um, 58% goals for, <laughs> and uh, 1.9 expected goals a game, and what is it, 58% Corsi for. It's impressive. His he's they're putting pucks on net. His expected goals is up. His expected goals against is down. It, it's really not hard to to be really happy to see Caulfield molding himself into the guy he should be, the guy players people expected this year after the playoffs. And now we're seeing not maybe the peak of what he can be, but someone who's developing and turning into more of a player. He's responsible. He's creating chances. 
how do you not get excited about seeing this version of Cole Caulfield again? Because it's the same one we saw in the playoffs last year. He's and it, it was the one we were expected to see this year. Yeah, there's a swagger to his game, and I think that's a huge, huge bonus. I want to throw out a question on with regards to Cole Caulfield. I was having this discussion with someone, I forget who it was, but a couple of days ago, and they were trying to make the point that Cole Caulfield might have actually like the beginning of his turnaround might not have necessarily been that first game under Martin St. Louis, but it might have actually been the game before in that 7-1 debacle against New Jersey. <laughs> and the one thing I could think of is in that game is that he didn't score, but he got a lot of shots on net, or at least he got a lot of shots off. I don't know if you guys remember that game far back and remember how Cole Caulfield played, but I don't know. Like I, I'm willing to at least entertain that idea, but I definitely think Martin St. Louis deserves a ton of credit for at least encouraging him to just continue to play a dynamic brand of hockey. But I am willing to entertain the thought that that layoff from, from, you know, obviously being in COVID protocol and then returning to the lineup, maybe that also played a role, but yes, you guys are absolutely right. Cole Caulfield absolutely has looked different uh, since returning to the lineup. I, I think we went dark here for a second, but I hope we're all able to come back. I think we're back now, but all that to say, uh, yeah, you guys are right with Cole Caulfield and your, and your assessments on it. Or, or at the very least, you could give me a you give me a clap back if you feel that uh, the idea that uh, Cole Caulfield didn't get his game back uh, in that seven one game is is just a false like theory. I be honest, I didn't watch that game. I, I've been on. I've, <laughs> That's fine. I've, I've, been, I've been on and off <laughs> this team for for yeah since since it started really this season. I don't know why. I just I was probably empty after the summer as well, just like the players. Okay. And I, yeah, and I think that game against uh, D- Detroit, uh, New Jersey was a turning point for people on this team. It's it's one thing to lose. It's another to lose like that. And people who are used to winning and doing things like a Cole Caulfield, like a Nick Suzuki, even guys like Josh Anderson, who are full of pride, you get sick of it. And eventually you just kind of go, all right, things are changing. And then the coach comes in and it's Martin Saint-Louis, a guy most of this team probably grew up watching play hockey and it's like well you don't take shifts off for that guy he's a hockey hall of famer you don't take shifts off or he's gonna know he's a coach he's and he's a player he's been there everything just seems to kind of fall in line that might have been that tipping point where we saw caulfield trying and then the game just went in the toilet because that's what games under dominique ducharme did and sometimes it just you know you got a bottom out and maybe that 7-1 loss was the bottom and not the Minnesota Wild game or the Pittsburgh Penguin game or et cetera, et cetera, that was the bottom out and they go, okay, we're up here. Everything is on the way up from here. And yeah, they lost some more games, like we said, but now this team is doing what it needs to, to get wins and at least play hockey that makes sense. It's not just blindly flailing around. And I'm glad it's such a relief to have watchable hockey out of everything, honestly. Um, let, oh, so just for in case for people who have tuned in and don't know what the score is, I'm not sure if the score is out there. The Canadians winners over the New York Islanders by a score of three to two in the shootout. Uh, for the first time all year, they win consecutive games. Uh, Michael Pizzetta, the first period, I thought he had himself a pretty decent first period. Uh, I was under the impression that goal stood as his. Uh, Scott, you're saying that goal actually went back to Jeff Petrie? The NHL credited it to Jeff Petrie, which, you know what, though? I still give Pizzetta credit. He got to where he needed to be, and it looked like it had hit him in the leg, but I guess it didn't. But I don't have, 
you know, HD cameras in the goalposts or whatnot to be able to tell anyone that. So a, I'm happy Jeff Petrie scored. He's been great too. So everyone looks like a new player, honestly. Point streak for Jeff Petrie, but Pizzetta, uh, I was, it's a shame he didn't get credit for that because he has a goal, I think, off his face. He would have had one off his leg. He would have found a way to have all these different body parts get goals. But what have you all thought of Michael Pizzetta to this point uh, in the season and and the fact that, you know, even though he's a fourth-line guy, he doesn't score and produce every game, but he seems to be doing the little things that continue to endear him uh, to certain fans of this team who have wanted to see some. I'll be honest, uh, mostly I've been thinking about my top 25 under 25 <laughs> ranking when I, when I see Michael Pizzetta. <laughs> Because, please go in on uh, that. Please, please go in on that for people who who tune in and don't want don't that you guys should be reading Habs Eyes on the Prize. But yes, the top twenty five under twenty five. That is a yeah. You've been uh, part yeah, of that, that project. It's a massive. I project, have been part obviously. of that. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, it's great, and we try to 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 rank all forty or, or forty plus players. You're gonna have quite a few wrong, at least in the bottom end of it. Normally, you go like, and I know these are the top end, and I know these are the bottom end, and and then you try to match everyone in between and. Uh, yeah, let's just say I had, I think I had Dishow and, and Pasetta <laughs> at the bottom of that rank, like bottom five in that ranking on my list Jeez. last last year. So, yeah, I mean, like, that just shows how difficult it is to rank them. And, and uh, you never know. You need that bounce to come in. And, and Pasetta's really, I mean, he's really taking advantage of that situation that uh, arose in, in Montreal and where he got the chance to play. And, and it's hard to take him off that fourth line. He, he does what is needed on that line. Uh, Lekkonen is not the one driving to the net all the time, and, and it probably shouldn't be either, in, according to me. Um, <laughs> you've got <laughs> Paling in there, and, and, well, he's probably not going to be that guy either. So, yeah, it's Pesetta is there, and, and when he gets there, and, you know, even if he doesn't score with his leg, arm, neck, helmet, Face. whatnot. <laughs> Kneecap. <laughs> yeah. Th then... Then he's there and he gets to see uh, or he gets the others a chance to score. And, and I think that's the important bit. And that's what you want from your fourth line players. Maybe. Pat, do you want the rankings for where we had Michael Pozzetta in our latest top 25 under 25? And I'm going to read across here. 41, 38, 37, 32, 35, 27, 29, 35, 26, 38, 39. And that was this past year. And that's out of 42. 41 was uh, Anton, actually. You oh, had right. him. You had him at 29. So you were don't be too hard on yourself. You were at least a little more up on that. <laughs> he is going where I ranked him when I was last there. Uh, I, I want to see if I could find a way to like find my like ranking or ballot or something. I can send it to you at some point. I have uh, I have because Justin, uh, the machine behind Eyes on the Prize right now, has everything saved for years. So if you need anything, I will send it to you in a DM. Okay. It is it is amazing that Michael Pozzetta is probably going to be one of the biggest risers this year, along with like Joshua Waugh and Frederick Disho, as Patrick said. And as someone who's watched him. In the AHL, being that I cover the Rocket pretty regularly, I never anticipated this kind of season from him. When he got called up, I had written in my season preview about AHL call-ups that uh, if Michael Pozzetta is on recall, everything has gone off the rails and this team is a disaster. I was not wrong in that regard, but I am impressed at the way he's endeared himself at the NHL level. Sometimes he bites off a little bit more than he can chew trying to yes. challenge 
Ryan Reeves, which all credit to him, he's tough as nails, but that's a very stupid thing to do. But when this team was bad, Michael Pozzetta was still trying. And there's an effort there that you can't help but appreciate. And a lot of people like, he reminds me of Ryan White. And I went, he reminds me of Ryan White, but somehow a little more contained. At the AHL level, he had a bit of a uh, a reckless streak. And in the NHL, I don't know if it's just that he doesn't want to be sent down or suspended and lose his spot, but he's honed that into a really nice, agitating, grinding fourth line role. And he's got four goals on the season. Uh, he had five. They took it away from him. But it's really not hard to be impressed with Michael Bazzetta this season. And for a while, he was one of the uh, few bright spots on this team. I'm I'm really happy to see what he's turned into. And now I wonder, with the way this team's getting redone, is he here next year? Or has he earned himself, you know, a way out to a team that might need his services more is there a potential that there are teams because philadelphia was apparently interested in him earlier this year you look at a guy who can score goals gets to the net fights tries hard and just generally seems to be that would be all over him i'm surprised <laughs> they didn't take him he's the perfect flyer he is the idea philadelphia flyer he's got the long hair the greasy mustache and he will fight anybody who's in front of him if they say the wrong thing I'm really interested to see what is next for him or if he can hold on to uh, turn himself into an NHL regular next year, whether that be under Martin St. Louis, if he's here next year or whatever coach does come in and fill that role. Yeah, that's what's really important here. Like when they, when you look at development and, and stuff and you have to look at New Zealand as a rugby nation who is 4.5 million people and or 4.2 and they're the top nation in the world. I think they're the winning percentage for, for the men's rugby team is about 92%. That's of all games they play for, for on an international level, um, which is crazy good, but they have this, that you should never lose a player. Uh, they should always be part of the system and you could call them up. So even if you, you want to go out and, and stop playing professionally at age 22, because you haven't gotten that game, Go into the to the uh, um, amateur leagues and then get called in. And Pasteur is kind of that guy. He can be up for maybe one year, maybe two, and but but he's done it. He's done it the hard way, and he earns the respect from everyone doing it. And and it's also the tale that all the kids needs to hear. You know, if, if you try hard, you're going to get there. You got Brendan Gallagher. We got David Dejeuner as well, and and all these other players that has come through the ranks of, of not the regular way draft two years in AHL or, or, or in Europe and then into the team. It's, it's, it's good to see others succeeding in other ways, giving other opportunities. Uh, the very last thing I'll say about Michael Pizzetta, and then I want to talk about Ben Sherratt. Uh, the very last year I was part of the T25 under 25 was in the year 2020. And that year, Michael Pizzetta was ranked 40th. He was on the outside looking in on the top 25. But I ranked him 30th. And let me just explain something about my process with that, which I think was a little bit different than what everyone else kind of did for the website. I value a lot of like if a player was already playing at a pro level somewhere like that to me, bumped them up and like Pizzetta at least had AHL games under his belt. And I know there are other guys in the system where they're playing in different parts of Europe and they're doing all this other stuff. And that's great. But if they're not, I mean, I guess in my eyes, if they're not playing at the AHL, which is like the very next step before the NHL, if I'm trying to decide between a guy that him playing, them playing at the AHL overplaying in like the SHL or another league, 
that would be like a tiebreaker thing for me. So that's why I had Pozzetta as high up as I did compared to, I don't know, maybe like a like a Yanni Ikenen another year. Remember him? Yeah, I had him last two, two times or, or second to last twice, I think. <laughs> oh God. But yeah, yeah like Michael, <laughs> but yeah, Michael Pizzetta is a is a story unique to the Montreal Canadiens this year for how he's played. I want to get to Ben Chirac. Oh, go ahead. It's, oh, it's I'll let you have the last thought. We'll go to Ben. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a good story. And Montreal needs good stories now. It's as yeah. easy as that. <laughs> <laughs> they absolutely do. But I want to talk about Ben Chirot, who a lot of people feel is the next Montreal Canadiens player on his way out. Uh, he gets to play today. Uh, I thought he looked good in overtime, actually. I know Scott was saying that a lot of stuff could be expected to go wrong with Ben Chirot, but I actually thought he looked pretty good in OT. And if he had scored a goal, that would have been an easy way. Or if he had just set up a play, was I think, was that him? Who, I'm trying to remember, was that him on the perimeter side who tried to set up Jake Evans for in OT or late? He did, yeah, like, and he shot one off the pads, too. Like, Ben Sherratt did, you know, Ben Sherratt things. And I'm actually on natural stat trick because the games are watchable, so I can look at the numbers here. And Ben Sherratt's numbers across the board while playing pretty heavy minutes are pretty good. So if you are a GM watching Ben Sherratt, hi, Kyle Dubas. They're coming to Toronto tomorrow. You should trade for this big, large man because he just played a really good game against the New York Islanders, a team who built for the playoffs. And Ben Sherratt knows how to win in the playoffs. Well, at least in Montreal anyways. And I look at this and I go, I don't think he's as bad as the season has shown. I don't think he's as good as the playoffs showed last year. I think he falls somewhere in the middle there. And those are the guys that always get overpaid at the trade deadline there. And I really do think Someone's going to trade for Ben Sherratt. They're going to pay probably too much for Ben Sherratt. And to me, that is no longer my problem when that happens. I will wish him well. <laughs> it, it's not my problem anymore. When he is gone from the team. It wasn't really your problem before then either. But I mean, <laughs> no, because here's the thing is when we watch him. Are you how the AGM? Shh. <laughs> We don't. Anyways, uh, I'm going to operate under a uh, pseudonym as the assistant GM in Montreal. Uh, so when we trade for Charles Houdon again, everyone's going to go, ah, Scott's running the team now. That yeah, makes that, perfect that, sense. That, that would be the Charles tell. Houdon. <laughs> I was going to say, Charles Houdon's back in the Canadians organization again. And no one is shocked. Going to get outed on Twitter. Going to wake up and all my, all my mentions are going to be blown up. But... I think he's going to be a piece that some teams are going to be inevitably disappointed by if they try and put him in a role that he isn't fit for. You have him in a second pairing role and you manage his minutes well, like they did when he got to Montreal and he could play behind Shea Weber. That's great. But the thing is, this year, he, David Savard's another one. They've been playing above where they probably should be, and that just kind of stings in the end. I, I'm very curious to see where he goes because Toronto obviously just traded for Ilya Labushkin. St. Louis has been in the running. There's been a lot of smoke around New York. It's it's going to be really intriguing to see where he ends up and where he goes. Uh, at the, I think he's gone by the end of this week, to be quite honest. Once the Rocket gets some other guys out of COVID protocol and there can be some call-ups, I think we're going to see Ben Sherratt gone by the end of this week, once the Canadians have a day off between games or so. I thought the option would be Lekkonen like leaving, unfortunately, but I think that's going to happen and it could happen one of those two is going to leave. I mean, like, those are the ones that are going to leave early. You don't want to get in on a bidding war uh, right before the uh, the deadline. 
I, I could see a situation where both uh, Lekkanen and Sherratt could leave at this point, uh, just because of, of what returns both of those players could get. Uh, I'll say this about Ben Sherratt. I was having this discussion on another podcast with uh, Justin Cuthbert, the Iowa Sports Hockey Podcast, which I believe that episode is out now. Here's the thing. A lot of people are really freaking out about the idea that the Canadians want like a first and all these other pieces similar to the David Safari trade. Here's the thing. The teams that are going to be interested in a Ben Sherratt are likely playoff contending teams, teams that hope to have a deep run in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And for those teams that do that, the first round pick that they have does not matter to them nearly as much as a team like, say, the Montreal Canadiens. So one thing people should actually really think about here, for a Ben Sherratt trade for first, if a first round pick is involved, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. It, I mean, it's, it, it, is, we should, it, it shouldn't it is, be. It is from 17 to, to 32 anyway. Yeah, and, if you're if you're the Leafs, you should be aspiring to win the first round, go deep <laughs> into the playoffs, and then have that first round pick be like 28th. The only reason why people in Toronto are freaking out so much is because they can't win in the first round, and they think that pick's going to be 17-18. But no, they should be. I mean, I get it. There's a situation where they end up against the Florida Panthers or some other team of destiny in the first round, and they do lose. But they could also win, and that first-round pick could end up being later. And you know who could help them put a, put themselves over the top? A guy like Ben Chirot, who's gone through the rigors of a postseason and knows how to play that style that could in, that could help a team get over the top. I, I Am think I right from, or am I wrong? No, I think you're right in that. And if I'm the Montreal Canadiens, too, I think a lot of what returns in this Ben Chirot trade is going to tell us where they're going to be what direction they want to go. Cause we look at the Calgary trade, they got a first round pick and they got Emil Heineman and they got a prospect and a first. I don't know if they're going to get both of those things, at least a high end prospect to go along with Ben Sherratt. And it's going to be we telling call Heineman a high end prospect or not. I, let's I'm not calling the him AGM a high end prospect. Speaks. <laughs> the AGM speaks. I, I'm looking at it in that, because a lot of people have had it since it's been talked about from Pierre Lebrun and Chris Johnston and that this is what is expected to be in there. And I think when we look at that Toffoli trade, it's going to lead people to potentially expect too much. And they might get a first and maybe a mid-tier prospect or a guy in the AHL who can't break through in that organization right now. And that might be okay for Montreal because they're going to need bodies next year. Guys looking to earn a chance. Look at Rem Pitlick this year right now. Like we talked about Michael Pozzetta. This is a team where you can earn your playing time and try and prove that you belong here next year and a first. And they stock up on picks. It makes me feel like they're going to be a little more uh, time here in their rebuild, retool, whatever we want to call this. But if they go out and get prospects who are on the fringe, like a Vitaly Kratsov or a Nils Lundqvist, that they want to start and get back as soon as possible. Guys who can make that jump potentially or be ready within that next year after 2023 and this team is ready to go. I don't know if Ben Chirac gets you that. If we we look at, you know, the draft coming up, I'm not sure that any of these players are going to go straight into an NHL lineup. I'm not even sure. I'm I'm not even sure Shane Wright with. Uh, Slavkovsky probably needs another year in AHL or or a top European league. Um, as he was voted MVP in the Olympics, I can see that they want to start him in NHL. But I think, you know, it's a smart move of going, t- take one step at a time. Don't try to jump the whole ladder in one go. Yeah. 
I absolutely agree with that too, is that with this, because we've seen it how often in the past with maybe Kotkaniemi and other things that don't rush your future pieces. And I think that's something that I think Gordon has patience with. He, you know, was in New York for their rebuild and where they're at now. And I think Kent Hughes, who's, you know, been a player agent his entire career, definitely knows where he needs to be at now too. So I'm really interested to see how they progress with this. Because I think obviously Shane Wright, a Slavkovsky or whomever, you know, it goes in the top three besides Wright is going to lead them somewhere. And if Shane Wright doesn't play in the NHL next year, that's just fine. It's not the end of the world here. Probably and means you, you just, get another first round, uh, early first round pick as well. So Exactly. You just take Mitchkov the next year and it's even better. Like, you know, you grab, you know, your two-way guy in a Shane Wright who is a very talented player. And then you grab that guy with superstar potential in the next year, if possible, load up on draft picks, load up on prospects. And you know what? You come back with an entire new version of the Montreal Canadiens when this team is ready to go. Um, I want to get to a uh, question that was thrown into uh, the live chat. Thank you to everyone who's watching right now. Uh, and uh, thank you for throwing in questions if they're there. I found one from Connor Kenny. Uh, what will Habs do with all of our goalies? Does Alan Montambo and the Hamburglar get traded around the deadline? All right. So since the AHL is, is my realm of, uh, of expertise here, my thought is this, is that it all depends on carry price. If carry price is done for the season, which it looks more and more like he is, you hold on to Jake Allen this year. And you'll see if someone maybe wants a Samuel Montembeau or a, and you keep someone like Andrew Hammond, or you run Allen, Montembeau, you have Hammond, you have Primo, and then you have McNiven and you have Kevin Poulin. There's actual depth. It's just that most of it is injured right now. And in Laval, Caden Primo is currently pitching a pretty strong game against the Amherst in Rochester. Michael McNiven is likely playing tomorrow in Toronto for family day. And then Kevin Poulin, when both of these guys were up in the NHL and injured, was a massive backstop for them. The depth is there and it makes me feel like Allen's going to get held on to right now because he's a solid goalie. He did a lot the past two years to try and help carry this team to whatever respectability they could get. And we don't know what's going on with Carey Price. They say that he's doing off-ice workouts, that he's not skating right now. And that might be part of the plan. But if you're a Habs fan, you can't help but be nervous and kind of want that reassurance that, hey, this is going to be fine. And I think come trade deadline, they might just be like, he's done for the year. We're shutting it down. He'll be back for you know the offseason. Jake Allen is scheduled to come off the IR within the next week or so, I believe. And then we'll see what's up from there because Montembeau, Playing through an injury has done about as well as he could. Hammond's played one game and it was about as good as we could have expected there. And Caden Primo is not ready yet. And we saw that and let him stay in the AHL. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do because they do have a lot of goalies, only two who three that are signed beyond this year. Cause I believe Caden Primo is one more year on his entry level contract left. And then you have just Allen and price. I don't think Andrew Hammond will come back and Montembeau might, who knows? It's, it's nice to have options now after getting down to uh, we were in e-bug territory for a couple of games there. And that was a scary, scary time to be a Canadians fan. Pat, what about you? What do you think of uh, the stable of goaltenders and which guys could move? I mean, it also depends a little bit. And, and that's, that's the only thing that Scott doesn't take up in, in, in his, uh, Excellent review of the six goalies, but, but it's also like the uh, it depends on what are you going to do next year. We know that 
or, or we don't know, but it's it's confirmed more or less, ninety nine percent sure that Dijo <laughs> is staying in 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 Sweden with Perlunda next year. Um, it is also uh, what is it? Dobsch, Dobsch, and um, Verbitek is coming up. Where they gonna play Trois I mean, you have a lot of guys coming up from underneath as well. You don't have to make that decision come trade line, trade deadline. But on the other hand, the the season is over. You know, give <laughs> if if you can get a fourth round pick, you take it. Let's go home, everybody. The season's over. <laughs> Fifty of the year. The Canadians have won consecutive games. It will not get better than this. <laughs> According to Patrick Bexell in Sweden. To be uh, fair, yes. he's not totally wrong. It might not get I better mean, than this. Fine. We don't. We don't. We haven't won back-to-back games all year. It currently does not get actually any better than this this season right now. No. Who are I we mean, playing next? <laughs> uh, Toronto tomorrow. Oh uh, yeah, family. Oh, day, we're not going to win. Oh baby. <laughs> which oh, is man. yeah in Toronto. I don't know why I thought it was in Montreal. That was. I, I think I just kind of looked at the schedule wrong. Just. It's been a tough last few months. It, it, it is uh, that yeah. European thing where, where you guys have at and we have the, the, the first, the home team first. Oh, it's yes, like it's exactly. Prob- it probably messes with your heads when you watch the Premier League as well. <laughs> Especially as a, as, a, as a, and funny enough, uh, both Scott and I are both fans of Premier League teams. So we are, a- we are capable, more than capable of making the adjustments uh, when it comes to home team being uh, shown first uh, in Europe compared to what it is in uh, North America. Any it final thoughts me, on the it, uh, the games today? I think, sorry? Any final thoughts on uh, the Islanders-Canadians game before we wrap up? I think my my thought is really like, it, the players are looking like they're having fun again. And I think that's the main thing going forward. They need to do that. Then we're going to get some bonus wins because they're just happy. And, and that is all down to Mar- uh, Martin Saint-Louis. I think my thought is I like wins. Wins are fun. Uh, they make for much fun, much more fun post game reactions uh, and <laughs> post game shows, which uh, well, I'll be doing after uh, this one is over with too. It, it's nice to have positive things to actually look at and not just oh well, you know Montembeau got sixty pucks directed at him and he stopped fifty seven of them and they still lost. Like it's nice to have actual things to build on and to see things that are heading in a positive direction. I mean, they might get smoked tomorrow, but you know what? It's not going to take away from what Martin St. Louis done already. So I, I really enjoyed this. I really like seeing Cole Caulfield go ice in his veins, five hole in the shootout. It was, it was a lot of fun. It's been fun watching Canadians hockey again. And I haven't been able to say that in, oh God, almost since the summer, I think at this point, it's, it's been fun to watch the team play again. Yeah, it's been about like seven, eight months, I think, since you, since you can say that. It's been uh, we get farther and farther away from that uh, 2021 summer where the Montreal Canadiens were playing in the Stanley Cup final against the Tampa Bay Lightning against all odds. Very never strange. forget, never forget, it was three one. It was three one. Wow! It's just, until uh, until the playoffs start, the Canadians are still Western Conference champions, and I'm going to continue to gloat about that for as long <laughs> as I can because I have nothing else this season. To they, they won for a trophy us. last year; they never won before, right? And then they're going to win the draft true. lottery. They're going to finally win the last thing they've never won, and that's the draft lottery. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> are you coming for the? Are you guys coming up for the draft? Are you coming to Montreal oh. for the draft? Unless they I move wish. it, absolutely. I have a Mapule poutine and a Schwartz's smoked meat with my name on it. So, 
I, I, you got to come through. I mean, like, uh, I, I'll be honest. We, my, my, my better half and me, I said we're going to get married in Montreal, but we're not sure we're going to be able to do it at, uh, in, at the draft. Uh, <laughs> hey, I, I, I am more than happy to uh, crash the wedding when it eventually happens. <laughs> <laughs> I think the plan is to have it at a bar somewhere so plenty of people can crash it. <laughs> even better. I don't even need, yeah, even better. We'll just like go to, I don't know. Peel Pub or whatever, whatever establishment you'd like to, uh, you'd like to have for your wedding to your beautiful bride. All right, all right. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for hanging out with yours truly on this uh, Sunday afternoon. A, a winning one for the Montreal Canadiens, a three-two shootout victory over the New York Islanders. The first time all year, the Montreal Canadiens have won consecutive games. Uh, you can check out both Pat and Scott's work. At Habs Eyes on the Prize, a website from SB Nation. Uh, Scott also has a podcast he does with Laura Saba called Locked On Canadiens. Sorry, I pronounced it the American way, which I find is really stupid. Locked On Canadiens, like really, guys? How are I'm you sorry. going to sass me like this uh, as a guest on Locked your show, on sir? Canadians. <laughs> Locked On Canadiens. It's Canadians. <laughs> Look, I'm trying my best. And we all are. It's not we all are not. in these trying times. <laughs> but yes, you can oh. check out Locked On Canadians uh, wherever you get your podcast. But also, you can uh, listen to this podcast whenever we got the backlog of episodes on YouTube. Uh, you can check out the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, I don't know when I'll be back on this podcast again, but it has been an absolute blast filling in for Andrew Berkshire while he handles his sleep schedule and, of course, <laughs> game over international, which, of course, the Olympics are done now. So uh, he'll probably uh, be back to normal when it comes to his sleep. But uh, I'm sure he'll be back tomorrow uh, for uh, Canadians versus Maple Leafs on family day everywhere else except Quebec. We still have the day on. Uh, for Pat, Scott, I'm Julian saying so long in peace. And uh, I'll be back tomorrow with a brand new episode of the Chris Johnston Show with uh, Chris Johnston.